Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined by the Echoes Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas, and our regular guest and contributor, uh, Gavin Buckland. Um, I suppose we're six days on now from that Luton Town defeat. It's not feeling any better. But, um, Joe, you were down this um, Finch Farm yesterday for Sean Dyche's press conference previewing the, the, the Bournemouth game. I mean, uh, how did you find the Blues boss? Um, how did I find Sean Dykes yesterday? Um, probably as 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 resilient and as determined as he, as he ever is um, yeah. to present a, a positive picture, which is obviously yeah something that, that he's always going to try and do. Um, it's an interesting one. I think there, there's an element at the moment I kind of think of, and I feel this when we go to these press conferences before games, after games, and to be honest, I feel in the, the match day reports that I write and everything that we say, where we're kind of trapped in a little bit of a circle at the moment where mm. the same things, the same narratives have been kind of weaved for the whole season so far and really something's got to give and, and that's got to be results. Um, yeah, they... He can really do with a win against Bournemouth. That's not me saying that his position's necessarily under threat or anything like that, but I just think the whole club could really do with that lift going into the international break. I have a degree of sympathy for Sean Dyche with, with, with some of, of what he's saying at the moment. Perfor- underlying performance is not being particularly bad. Underlying stats trending in the right directions. You know, I, I can understand why, if you're looking for positives, you can find things to be positive about and Everton start to the season. But I I think it's fanciful to look, you have to acknowledge the results of what matter at the end of the day and Everton haven't got enough of them and, and that needs to change. And the luck needs to change. And if hopefully it'll do so against Bournemouth, otherwise it's going to be a really difficult international break and, and it's a difficult run of fixtures after then as well. Um, and just hopefully this will be the day that you know Bournemouth will be the time that everything at Goodison Park aligns and, and that you do have the the good start with and the chance creation that has been a genuine theme and a good theme of the home games with the exception of Arsenal that that materialises into into an into an early goal an early lead that the club that squad can then build on and, and protect and that's 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 got to be the hope. Yeah, I mean Gaffer is. Playing devil's advocate here is Dyke perhaps a victim of, of the, the the games he's lost rather than necessarily the results in that I say that if Everton had lost to Brentford and then gone and beaten Luton, I mean all would not be rosy in the garden. But I, the fact that they gone and won that game at Brentford and obviously the Carabao Cup at, at Aston Villa and then they, they've got a four straight home defeat. I mean as much as it was hugely encouraging for like to. Joe myself seeing those performances on the road and all those fans yeah. that travelled to both those games. Th- those home games, you know, the vast majority of Evertonians are only seeing the games at Goodison Park and, and they've lost all of them now. But that, if you lose games, you're going to get scrutinised, aren't you? Yeah. And if you lose home games like we have, was it seven out of eight or something ridiculous? You, you, yeah. You're going to get more criticism than if you've lost seven, seven out of eight away from home and you've, well, you've yeah. won a few at home, aren't you? Um, and I think you're right. Um, home form is if you go wrong, you, that's when you've got problems. So you can't carry on, yeah, pulling things out away from home over the season. It's just not going to happen. You've got to start winning your home games, and this feels very much like a pivotal game, doesn't it? Tomorrow, yeah. if, if if we win, we've won three out of four. 
if we get beat, we've lost two going on the two home games, going into a difficult difficult set of fixtures, and as Joe was saying, it's the international break. So I know you, you called this a while back, Joe, that you felt this was a a big game, uh, and I think you know we, on the basis of our defeat last because of our defeat last Saturday, it's uh, it's carry on. You know, it's got even more significance than what I had say a month ago. So yeah, you, you are. I right. just got to start winning at home, and, and and that will will relieve a little bit of the pressure. If you carry on this run, then base understandably is going to get a lot of criticism off supporters as he is doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, as Gab just said there, Joe, it's one that can can go either way. It is incredible, like you were saying, that people are even pointing the finger now, given those previous two um, away results. And as Gav says, it could be three wins out of four, actually. But then, if it's going into the international break on the back of two more home defeats, it, it really could swing one way or, or the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think that he's under as much threat as he potentially would be in in normal circumstances. Yeah, I think any any manager who's to lose in five home games in a row would would understandably be under a degree of scrutiny. But there are so many external issues mm. at Everton uh, that are having an impact on what's going on. You know, from whether or not they could afford to sack him, whether or not. Who actually makes the decision and what that yeah. decision making process and the current state of things is. Um, and also, in fairness to Deitch, you know, he, he's had his hands tied behind his back. You know, I know there are a lot of supporters that kind of are frustrated with the levels of the performance, the styles of the performance, and, and perhaps some of his rhetoric around games. But when you take, when you, when you, when you boil everything down to the, to the basics, kept Everton up last season and, and I think there were various points in the, in the second half of last season where I think most of us thought that Everton were down you know and he deserves he does genuinely deserve credit for keeping Everton up last season and he deserves for that to still be in the bank the summer was a very difficult summer and I think that I think that when I when I because I speak to him a couple of times every week Mm. And a lot of what I'm trying to do is analyse what's going on behind the words. Yeah. And I think the last international break changed a few things, really. I think that I feel like I've noticed a little bit of a kind of a change in him since then. The combination of the transfer deadline day when Iwobi was sold and he probably didn't want Iwobi to go. Yeah, not beating Sheffield United away the next day, then losing Damari Gray from a scenario where it very much looked like the club thought that they were going to be able to reintegrate him and you thought that probably was factored into the decision to let Alex Awobi and, and Neil Mope go. And then you then had all the, the takeover stuff that then unfolded during that international break as well. I think for the first time... It felt like to me that there seemed to be almost a, a realization from Deitch that maybe he can't control everything at Finch Farm. He can't protect the players from everything, and that, that his job is going to be undermined at times, whether he likes it or not, by the wider situation at Everton. And I think that we have to give him some kind of some room to operate within that as well. You know, people kind of coming to me and talking about obviously the home record about his win ratio and things like that 
and comparing him to you know to, to former managers, but mm. the circumstances and the context within which he's operating are wildly different to a lot of them and have to be taken into account. I do think that there have been some positives from the performances in the sense of yeah, they they should have beat Fulham and Wolves. They did they they did enough. They did enough in those games to suggest that it was on the players and not the manager. All he can do, you said this on Monday, all he can do is create a system that allows that team to, to create chances. And, and and he's done that. And he did that with a side that was you know, a Fred Bear squad that was also suffering a lot of injuries at the start of the season. Um, and whilst that theme's continued, there have been efforts to improve it because obviously Beto has come in. Dorian Calvert-Lewin's got back fit. Dwight McNeil's coming back fit. Jack Harrison is coming into fitness. So there are reasons to think that you know, things could get better. This international break really does feel like an important one because although you'll lose some of those players, well, none of those players I just mentioned, but some of his squad to international fixtures, it's almost going to be like a mini preseason. It'll be the first time where particularly that attacking unit, you'll be able to get that attacking unit working together over a sustained period of time where they're all fit and hopefully come up with, 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 yeah, with, with a cohesive plan to to make it more effective for 90 minutes. Because I think that, particularly at Goodison, they'd be very, and at Brentford as well, good in the first 15 minutes, and then it, it, it tails off, and, and that's when the, the problems start. But yeah, like Gav you know, says, uh, you know, the last international break I called this Bournemouth game as being such a huge game. This is the litmus test for this Everton squad and where it is. Because, you know, it's a game against a team that in any circumstances, Everton wanting to stay in the Premier League and or go any higher up the table would really need to be beating Bournemouth at home. I certainly can't afford to to lose it. You know, it's it's a it's a home game with a full squad that's as fit as it's ever going to be against a team that might end up in a relegation battle, might might end up in the lower half of, of, of the table at the most likely. Uh, and this is Leitch's opportunity to show us what he's got this Everton team to do. And it's, you know, it's frustrating because we saw what they could do at Brentford and we saw what they could do at Villa. And it is, when it works, it's very, very impressive. And Deitch deserves credit for having that in the, in the bank where it does work off with this group of players. But what he really needs to do now is he needs to make sure that that Luton game was the blip for the seven squad in, in, in its peak condition. And that it wasn't the Villa and the Brentford wins that were the blips in a negative trajectory. And and it needs to start against Bournemouth. It's a massive game. What Joe was talking about there, obviously, the players taking responsibilities yeah. as, as well, Gav. I mean, we've had eight managers in, in, in seven years now. And I mean, even Carlo Ancelotti, the great Carlo Ancelotti at time, shown up by this Everton squad and all the squad evolves and the personnel aren't always the same. I mean, how much of this is that like a manager can literally only do so much in that we, we've, I know yeah. all managers are defined by results, but if he's setting them up the right way and we can see those signs of encouragement, but the players just aren't doing it, is there a degree of sympathy there for the manager? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, yeah. I think we can criticise the tactics against Arsenal and sort of the the changes in the second half against Luton, um, which didn't, you know, which didn't work at all and we ended up like a little bit of a mess didn't we in the second half tactically um, and consequently we did nothing to we didn't barely lay the glove on Luton but you are right I, I was I was talking I was told before we started I was I yeah. was he's had a bit of stick yesterday hasn't he over this thing about the highest XG for eight years and whatever and games aren't won by XGs but 
the, but the underlying points I think he was he was saying is I think it's sound and and it's a it's it's an um, example of what you're talking about. I got me I got me abacus out yesterday afternoon. Okay. And in fact, if you have a look at if you have a look at the I don't want to bore everybody here, but just to make a general point is if you have a look at our time with the Martin and Silver Cumin, we tend mm-hmm. tend to score ten percent of our chances, you know, okay. in, in, in under those managers. This year, Dice we've had 108 shots on goal. Yeah. So if you talk me with expect to score ten percent of them, you're talking about we would we would have eleven goals so far this season. Right. Okay. We've got six. If you added five goals onto our tally, we'd probably be looking at a, a different outlook, wouldn't we? And that's down to, you know, as we're saying, poor finishing, players not being composed enough. And and I think that's where you could you can he, I know you sometimes you can give can resort to cliche and stuff, but that must be frustrating as a manager, mustn't it? Mustn't it really? Is you've done a lot of the lot of the hard work, getting yourselves into good positions, but have not converted all the chances that you should have done. And ultimately, he's the one who gets the gets the blame. Yeah. And I, I think I think you can you can what do you say next? We had a bit of stick, but some of that is on the players, isn't it? If you, if, if Neil Mope scores a couple that he should have done on the opening day, you know if, if we. For, Buried a couple of chances that we should have done against Wolves and possibly last Saturday. You'd be looking at a slightly different outlook, really. Yeah. The, other thing, the other thing, by the way, which I think is a really interesting point is, when you look at Dice's career as Everton manager, and this goes back to the home form, is with three three times more likely to convert a chance away from home than a Goodison. Yeah. So, what, you know, what, you know, what's I'll, that telling us then, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we convert, we, since we came... Dice came, we've converted, I think, four or five percent chance of our chances of Goodson, but away from home, it's 13 percent. So, not just scoring more goals, but actually taking their chances, taking more, more, more yeah. chances, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three times, if you have a, if you have a shot away from home, three, three times a chance, three times more likely to score than a Goodson. So, what does that tell you? And I know sometimes away from it's slightly misleading sometimes because teams set up differently, don't they? When you visit Goodson when they're at home, and you're more likely to have more space. and and stuff, but but that doesn't explain everything, does it? Does yeah. that does that say that actually there's a pressure on the players at home when they're in pressurised positions, which means they don't perform as well as when they're as when they're away from Goodison yeah. in terms of being clinical. And and I do think there's possibly something in that when people, I mean, there's been conversations this week about the home form, hasn't it, and the impact of the crowd and you know the atmosphere of Goodison and stuff like this, and the pressure on players. Well, that's an example, isn't it? Is they don't convert their chances at Goodson in anywhere near the same race as what they do away from home. Yeah. I just thought that was quite an interesting yeah. little statistic that perhaps points to an underlying issue here about how the players are reacting under pressure at Goodison and when the pressure's off them a little bit away from home. Yeah. I just thought it was just an interesting point. Yeah. But that, we'll go back to your points. It is right. Yeah. I think Dice, Dice can feel a little bit let down on his players on, on occasions. Yeah, I mean, that's deeply concerning in itself if you've got a hugely positive um, vociferous home crowd encouraging you and you sort of, yeah. that's working as a, ne- a negative rather than a positive. Um, 
Joe, I mean, you, you I just said your, your embargo bit with, with Sean Deitcher overnight, and he talked about you can smell it on the players, was, was the line that was taken out of that, and that one. And then he explained um, that one in terms of he was actually saying he didn't think that the previous results had had much of a bearing on, on the Luton Town defeats. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Just to carry on with, with, with what Gav was saying about XG yeah. there, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting one because when Deitch came in and he started off quite saying that, you know, it's, it's more about the feel and the noise and his eyes and what he thinks about games and stats. And, and now he's under a bit more pressure, obviously, yeah. and, the stats are, and the stats offer him some encouragement. He's kind of flipping the script on that. It's quite interesting. I think we've, I think he's got a very good point on EXG, but I think there are two problems for, from Evan's perspective. And, and one of them is the, one of the reasons there's so much pressure on Evan to convert the chances that they are creating is because they're letting in silly goals at the back. Yeah. And I think yeah. you, you, for all the chances that they missed against Lutz and if they descend set, if they defend the set pieces properly, don't concede those two goals, they still come away with a 1-0 win. Yeah. And, you know, you could say similar for for Arsenal, although it was a bit of a complicated short corner routine and Arsenal were clearly the better side again. You know, Arsenal repeatedly caused issues from set pieces and if, if Evan had had, had, had had solved the problem mid-game, which is another thing that they failed to do with the dangerous set pieces last week, then maybe they come away with a point. The other problem that I think, or the other thing that I think is important context for the XG, and I think this has to frame a whole discussion about the early part of the season so far, is we we have to remember who these, who these performances are against. And yeah. they're against Fulham, they're against Wolves, they're against Luton. You know they're they're against um, sides that we fully expect to probably be in the bottom six or seven at the table. And whilst it's one thing to say if the XG carries on trending in the same direction as it is, then sooner or later the luck will turn and, and and the goals will come. That works on the basis that you carry on creating chances. And and when you look after Bournemouth at what Evans home games are coming up, the next home games after that are Brighton, Manchester United. Um, they go Brighton, they go Manchester United at Goodison Park, then they go into December, they go Newcastle United, Chelsea and Man City. Yeah, those are the next five home games. And all right, yeah, there are there are ways in which most of those sides some of those some of those sides have weaknesses. Yeah, we saw the Deitch side dismantle Brighton uh, um on the south coast earlier on this year. We know that Manchester United and Chelsea could potentially be got at, but there are also teams with with squads of players and ways of playing that I think are far more advanced than where Everton currently are at them. And, and in fairness, by Deitch could get this Everton to because of all the things that we've already spoken about that he doesn't control. So so there is a bit of a danger, really, that if there's a reliance on eventually the luck turning, you know, it's going to be better performances at home to, to see that carry on creating those chances and against better defences, particularly obviously Newcastle. And, and, and City. So, yeah, this really was a kind of a period, the start of the season where Everton needs to get points in the bank to protect them against the run of fixtures that come in in this yeah. next phase of the season. And, and and they haven't done that. I think we all did a piece, we'll probably reflect on it next week, where we we, we looked at how many points we yeah. thought Everton should be aiming for from the first eight games of the season. Uh, and I think everybody would have said that double figures was, was, a, yeah. was a minimum. Uh, and nobody would have been looking at double figures now and saying, Oh, Everton and what ninth, tenth? You know, it could be a great season, and they could be finishing the top half. They'd be saying, "Well, look, we've just added a little bit of a comfort blanket for some of the difficult times that are likely to come." Yeah. So, yeah, even if they beat Bournemouth, 
they still come away with only seven points from this eight games, and that that is worrying. Albeit, again, I, I do think the league is weaker this season, and they'll need to do less to to stay up, and that is some comfort. Uh, obviously, if they do beat Bournemouth, they they do open up a four point gap to Bournemouth. So there is a third side there as well as Luton and Sheffield United that that there's a bit of a buffer to, which which would be handy. Um, in relation to the piece that you're talking to there, Chris, it's yeah. it's an interesting one because uh, you know I spoke to Sean Dyche about this yesterday, and the way I frame he disagreed with the way that I framed it, um, okay. but you know, and um, when he. He did an interview with the club. He, he said this a couple of times when when he came in in the first few weeks, first few months of his uh, of his time at Everton. He spoke of this um, it's kind of this 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 culture within the dressing room where it celebrate the wins were celebrated too positively and the defeats were taken too negatively. So essentially, you had this roller coaster of emotion that yeah. dictated by the immediate, the present, the the um, yeah, the what has happened on. It's almost like a an inability to see the bigger picture and how everything fits into it. Uh, so I asked him about whether or not he thought the you know eight months into his tenure he he had much much success at challenging it. I described it as an emotional turbulence, mm. uh, which was a phrase that he disagreed with. Okay, but I I'm not particularly sure why. I think that's a relatively fair summary of, of where we're at. But essentially. What he was saying is he looked at the past week and he he thinks it is addressed because he looked at the win against Brentford and he didn't see a dramatic high. He, he saw a stability within the dressing room, which then gave him a platform to then go and put in the very, very good performance and the very useful win against Aston Villa. And then he was saying that he didn't think that emotions got the better of the players in the build-up to Luton, um, which was essentially what I was trying to get at. Did he think that perhaps the Luton performance was undermined by the success and the confidence perhaps, perhaps being bred too highly, too dramatically going the other way after those two wins. And he was saying he was actually quite pleased with the you know, the culture, the mood, the attitude within the dressing room going into the Luton game. And he still very much sees that as more a, a game in which the preparation was right, a game in which probably the selection was right. He still sees it as a, a dominant performance from Everton with a lot of positives and effectively a game that was lost, not for any wider circumstance, just for a failure to manage the details. Well, I defend those two set pieces and and, and convert the chances that, that were created. So it was a, I mean, it was an interesting point. Yeah. I'd like people to read the story and see if they get it. I don't know if I've yeah. a little bit kind of too over people's, over, I think I might have always tried to be a bit too clever with it, but there was a valid okay. point I was trying to get. I think he's, he, he's, he tries to answer it how much kind of credence we put in his words is, is another one because, you know, I didn't really see the Luton game as a dominant performance. All right, they, they had more possession, but it's it's not a game that I came out of thinking it was just three moments, you know, one missed chance and two, you know, two bad set pieces that cost them. I thought that Luton certainly didn't deserve to lose that game. Yeah. I mean, based upon that, Gav, I mean... I mean, where do we go? On the one hand, we're saying that you know the the players are, are, are nervous at Goodison Park and the, the expectation, and, and we're saying that um, they think they think they're Real Madrid after one victory, and then uh, um, <laughs> after the defeat, they need picking up. I mean, 
it's a problem is, is we've got like both ends of the spectrum of are we? You know I mean, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a long time for Everton. I'm probably seeing this going back to Marco Silva, but the personnel's changed since then. So, I mean, that's concerning. You know, a different set of players. And Deitch is still trying to flush that out of the club. He keeps talking about this this two year story, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah does he? I, I can't remember mentioning that, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The emotional divergence may be the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now, it's interesting whether you celebrate more. Go back to me home and away stuff. When you when yeah. you win at home, cars, you celebrate a lot more than, say, if you win away from home, you know. Does this point to maybe a, a lack of leadership and direction from the players within the dressing room, yeah. Joe, in terms of what you want in those circumstances is, you know, senior pros to, you know, if you have worn and stuff. Imagine like a Roy Keane say, you know, mm. you, you know you've only beaten such and such, calm down, you know, calm down, calm down, you know, you know that yeah. type of stuff. Does this, do you think that within that, why is it on him? Why mm. does he feel it, it's on him? Surely there's players there who've seen your pros who should be trying to do the same yeah. in terms of controlling the colleagues and how the you know that the teammates, maybe younger players, newer players to the club, shouldn't it be up to them to to keep everything on an even keel? Yeah. Shouldn't just be in a management team, should it? And does this point to a lack of I like a leadership and direction, as I say, within the dressing room that people have accused the squad of of having. Do you think, Joe? I think quite possibly. I, I think the you again, it's, it's an issue that Deitch has to deal with rather than one that he's created himself. Uh, like so many of the problems that he's inherited, and you know, like I, we spoke about this on Monday, and again, I, I framed my match report around the 65th minute of Luton when Morris and Bradford were receiving treatment and. There was a stoppage in the game for you know, a decent chunk of time, and it was 65 minutes in. It felt like an opportunity for either players or the management team to just get everyone together and say, "Look, okay, last 20 minutes hasn't worked out. Why? All right, but we've we've got another half an hour here really to try and get our way back into this game, and we've got the ability, we've got the quality. So how are we going to do it? And instead, really, apart from a handful of yeah. Uh, discussions, uh, uh, yeah, between handful of discussions between players. The vast majority of them were sit around their hands on their hip or in isolation, and they're not doing that. And, and then that, those are the times in a in a match and in a season where really you, you need someone to be getting around the players and saying, "Look, let's bring some clarity to what we're trying to do here, um, and let's you know always just reinforce some of the belief that they have within themselves because it was there was ample time to get a second and then it, I know when the second came potentially a third at, at, at that point and we didn't see any of that and we didn't see any improvement in the performance after it you know it, Evan could have been playing for another half an hour and they probably wouldn't still wouldn't have scored which is nothing going back to the XG there's an interesting time probably an interesting conversation about when the XG is created by this Everton side because they come out of the traps very very quickly but they don't seem to be able to react necessarily to win game changes and flux because I don't think yeah. anyone really, there weren't many guilt-edged ed opportunities in that second half and Everton really needed to do something to score against a side that was trying to defend a lead. Um, so, yeah, so I think there probably is a, it's maybe it's less about a lack of leadership within that dressing room and maybe it's it's the type 
of leadership within that dressing room. You know, I think we can all imagine that Tarkovsky is probably a, a good person and a good role model and yeah. inspiration within that. But you need to have people around you to reinforce that. And you know, sometimes when I when I look at the performances at the moment, and I when I look at some of the performances and some how they can be a bit disjointed every now and then, I almost wonder if 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 there are a few cliques within that dressing room, and there isn't a kind of a thread of big personalities that are all necessarily on the same wavelength that run throughout that squad. Um, yeah, you know the way in which. The, the defence seems a very separate entity to the centre midfield and they kind of operate almost on, on two different wavelengths. And I think when Everton are at their most disjointed, that's, yeah, that, that, that really shows. Um, and I wonder if it's a case of rather than a, a lack of, yeah, rather than saying they don't have leaders, they don't have enough leaders or the leaders aren't on the same wavelength, maybe. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense. Can I, can I just add another point to that, Chris? Ooh. I mean, because I, I think it's a very interesting thing, this, isn't it? Yeah. I've spoken before, haven't I, about one of my main beefs about football squads, where they go wrong, is you have a lot of young, older players and a lot of y- younger players. Mm. And there's nothing in between. So that affects you in terms of, like, you've got very few players at their peak. And so, consequently, you, you have mismatches all over the pitch. And and the way that also impacts on the squad is is what you're saying there, Joe, is what what people within the squad have got in common. So Ashley Young's football experience is completely different to say Nathan Patterson's mm-hmm. or James Garner's, because there's 15, 16, 17 years between them. Yeah. Older players, okay, you might get some leaders. When they get certain age, is they're only insisting in their own form, keeping themselves fit. And if you've then got a big age gap to younger players, you have less in common. And, and I think that's when you're right. Not only does that affect you on the pitch, but I think that's when you do get clicks in, in the dressing room because you, you end up with like two or three different groups of players because of age and background who have got not got a lot in common. Yeah. And, that's what, go on, Gav. What, what do you think, Chris? Do you think that's... I think you're spot on there because if we look yeah. at Everton's most successful ever team, that they're, they're all more and more or less at the peak of their powers, aren't they, in the mid-20s? And yeah. whereas the way that the finances are currently with the club, you've either got a load of veterans whose best days are behind them or promising players who are very young and you've got to take a chance on. Yeah, and that, that affects you on the pitch, but it also affects you on the pitch, Joe. And, and maybe that, that sort of that sort of affects the sort of stuff that you're talking about there, about emotions, about the lack, maybe the wrong type of leadership or maybe not the best type of leadership, probably the best, better phrase. And, and like where there's groups with, you know, with there's groups within, within the session room. And I think that also contributes. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a incessant thing that the sensitive places are the dressing rooms, yeah. very sensitive and you, you just wonder whether that some of that is affecting, you know, our, our performances on the pitch and just the general atmosphere around the club. Yeah, and we just seem difficult because we we're, we're forever told that, um, and no reason to dispute it at all. I agree myself. You know what a model professional Seamus Coleman is. You know the man who Frank Lampard said was like the greatest man he'd ever met. And you know we're always told that he is. You know whether he's playing or not, and he hasn't played for a while because of injury. He's still very much a 
vociferous positive presence around the dressing room. James Tarkovsky mentioned what a leader of men he is, both in terms of his performances, leading by example, and the way you see is as a big personality, a big man. Jordan Pickford's no shrinking violet, is he, in, in terms of offering um, instructions yeah. to his teammates and even up at the other end of the pitch? Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's a sort of positive, bubbly character from the very articulate as well from the times I've spoken to him. So it, it is a head-scratcher in terms of, you know, you've got around the pitch, you've got these these big characters. I mean, even Amadou Anana, a young lad like him, such an extrovert and, you know, positive, um, um, confident player personality. So yeah, it's concerning that we've got those, but like you said, is it a click? We don't know because like the rest of the world, you know, we're looking at it from the from the outside. But um, in terms of um, positives, um, Jared Brampway, um, Joe, he was another one the manager was, was asked about and again sort of keeping it on the level he, he was mentioned about Bransway celebrating the tackle he wasn't too enamoured with, with that but you know he's talking about the, the positive trajectory that he's been on since he came into the side and the possibility of, of a new contract being close I mean yeah I think he chose his words carefully after what Frank Lampard said about Pickford uh, Awobi and Gordon in December obviously with only Pickford putting pen to paper but yeah I mean uh, Bransway has been one of the, the positive um Stories from this very difficult start to season for Everton. Yeah, he really has been selected in the in the England of the twenty one side again. That's been announced this morning, and 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 deserves it. I think you know, he's he's been very good. He's come into the side and and, and you know he he's made that spot his own really. And you know it's quite interested a piece on him last night. And you know the, the, obviously the feedback is 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 really bit really positive about him. And and I think there was obviously that clamour around him at the beginning of the season to start and. Yeah. We retrospectively we now know that he was carrying an injury around that time and, and you know, when I've asked Sean Deitch about this, he, he said that, that was he was thinking of starting Brandfrey at the start of the season, but that was one of the concerns around it, you know, when he came back and, and had the injury from the international action with the, the Euros with England. Um it's it's an interesting one because when you look at obviously you look at Everton's results, you look at the fact they failed to keep a clean sheet, it feels strange to be praising yeah. a, a a defender. But I do think that he's he's been very good. Um, you know, he reads the game so well, and he and he has that composure, uh, which which is a, a reassuring presence at the back. You know, I liked there was a moment in the Aston Villa game where the move for the first goal against Aston Villa was started by Bramthwaite by you know, Villa on the attack, and he you know, he, he read a he read a ball, he read a pass, stepped up to intercept it, and then rather than just kind of panic you know, 30 yards from his own goal and not be sure what to do. He, you know, he carried the ball 20 yards, had a look around with him, passed it through to Dan Dreamer, who ended up kind of, um, you know, started, started, so you started the move off effectively. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, there's just so much to be positive. He just looks really good, doesn't he? He looks strong. He looks determined. He looks fit. Uh, and like I say, he's got that composure as well, which is, which is really good. And you feel like Tarkovsky's probably a good person to have alongside him as, as well at this at, at this stage in his in his career, albeit again, there's another you know, like we just alluded to big age gap at different kind of areas of their of their career, and it's just a reminder. I think that there are kind of there are positives in this Everton squad that you can find if you're willing to look for them. It's just whether or not the wider circumstances will allow any of them to see the light of day, and I think that. 
we can't get ahead of ourselves here and, and think too far ahead into Evans' future. And if we want any real indication as to where the club is thinking that for, well, they, they sold the most promising academy player, Tom Cannon, last day of the transfer window. And that, yeah, that, that that's one I still feel, you know, it's, it's a, a really kind of damning indictment as to where this club is right now that it would, it would do so. But there is a core group of players. You look at Branthwaite, you, you look at Garner, you look at Anana, um, and a few and a few others around the likes of Patterson and that who could form the core of an Everton of a of a competitive Premier League Everton squad for a good few years to come. And again, it, it comes back to just how important this season is, and and not just Everton staying up, but if they do stay up, them and I do believe they will stay up. The you know, the manner within which they stay up, because. There's going to be so much change next summer. There are so so many of the players on big wages go out of contract, and yeah, there's there's a big opportunity. Whilst on the one hand, Everton's sides will constrict quite dramatically uh, unless they start handing out new contracts, which I'd be surprised with quite a few of the players. There's a real opportunity, probably Kevin Farwell's first opportunity to genuinely have a go at shaping that side. And if Everton can get to a situation where they get to April, they get to Easter and and it looks like they're probably going to be safe, then you know, there are almost two ways within which the, the free deals are done or the, the cheap deals are done in the transfer window, either right at the very beginning of the summer or right at the very end. If Everton can get on the front foot and have some of those con- conversations with players that are coming out of contract at the end of this season, then they could, they've got something that they can really build around and perhaps kind of build a future around a more stable and sustainable future around. And Bramfweight's a huge, huge part of that. But you know, like a like I did for the headline of this Bramfweight story um, last night, it's very much a case of Everton need to kind of save their future in order to build, save their present in order to to build their future. And and yeah. that's where we are at the minute. It, 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 like it's sad, and you, know, you want to have a wider perspective. But we are living game to game at the moment. And whilst Everton have the form that they do currently have that's only going to continue yeah Gav just before we move on on, on, on Bradford, I suppose he's, he's a ringing endorsement for when loans can work because he's such a big lad such a unit you forget how young he is he's only just turned 21 and the, you know he didn't look this accomplished um, before he went out on loan but after he went to Blackburn Rovers came back got sent yeah. off infamously in that, that Brentford game but seems to have really sort of matured after that season at, at PSV yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I said when he came back that 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 fact, isn't it, that a striker in the Premier League is stolen heavier than average, than it. Yeah, a striker on in Holland and whether you know the the, the that change in terms of the type of play you're facing and the the physical presence would would mm. would be a challenge for him. And I don't know the loot might give him a, a rough time last week, but that's part of the. The learning process, isn't it? And you can you can see physically he's he's developed a lot, hasn't he, over the last eight eighteen months. And I, I like him a lot. He reminds me. I remember like saying this when as soon as he played, and he played in lockdown. I think he his his, his gait, as as you would say, he's very much like a, a young Terry Butcher, and and, and Terry was a great uh, centre half. And he reminds me a lot of him in terms of his build as well. So yeah, I, I've been really impressed, and he, he's. He, he's good on the ball I mean he's got two good I mean people think he's left footed he's right footed isn't he Brad Yeah, yeah I think he got so, yeah. told off last year after one of the pods saying yeah. he was left footed yeah. and somebody 
Theresa May said, oh, now he's right-footed. Yeah, I've been really impressed and that paradox of he's saying, you know, defensively we've not been as good as what we'd expect him, but he's been, by and large, excellent since he's come in and, and there's room to develop there. And But we, we all know, when, we all know, don't we, that's the, the underlying thing when somebody of his promise signs a new contract, you're there to protect, it's there to protect his value as much as anything else, isn't it? And um, already the usual suspects have been linked, haven't they? And have been for some time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been really impressed with them and, and but he's still very much on a learning curve. But if he carries on, he can he can have a have a really good career. Okay. Worry just, about uh, that. just to jump in just yeah. to jump in there, Gav, I think you've been unfairly um I think you've been unfairly done there because Bramthwaite's left footed. He um and he, and, and, just... he and he and he says that himself. He said that in an interview with the club that was in the most recent programme. Oh, no, well, I, I, well, maybe he's, he's, he's just changed feet over the summer. Yeah, when just this, this, is, this is Brantway. This is Brantway in his own words. I am left-footed. Yeah. yeah. five-star weak foot on a new FIFA. Wow. So yeah. I'm hitting a long pass. Vindicated. Short passes with my right. So... Yeah. I, 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 this has gone down... This conversation has gone down an unexpected... Um, that was yeah. all, hasn't it? I, I, well, I don't, don't know. Anyway, he's, he's, he's good on he's good on both feet anyway, which is always, a, always a, um, an attribute for any any footballer. Fair but yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get back, yeah. yeah, I'll get back to that fella who, who, who've told me off there. Yeah. 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 No, it, 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 it is. He's been very much a, a two-foot player, so the, it's good that you can actually have a debate about that as opposed to all those holy one-foot players. Um so I'm worried about time with this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask, ask us to sort of sum up thoughts on what the Bournemouth game will be like with a prediction, um, sort of all in one felt swoop if, if possible. So if I start with you, Joe, I mean, obviously it's not quite the stakes of uh, 28th of May, but more or less about, about as big as you're going to get um, after that. Yeah, I think it'll be more the same against Bournemouth. I think you know, a theme against all the... From, from the home games and, and again from Brentford, um, you Everton start fast, start positively, try get an early goal, uh, and hopefully they do this time. And then you know, they're a completely different. Um, they're a completely different side when they got a lead to protect. Uh, I'm gonna hope that the you know, the, the the luck breaks this time round. I, I do think in some ways this game might be a little bit easier for this Everton side in the sense that you. Bournemouth for a bit more possession base and will come on to Everton a little bit more. I think that yeah, they they, they press higher on the side and that then means that Everton can can beat the press. That they'll have a little bit of space to counter and and that almost works well for Everton or better than situations like last last week where they got a lot of possession on the on on the halfway line or on the edge of the opposition box and they just can't quite figure out what to do with it. So, you know, maybe hopefully the luck changes. They they broke the goal drought at Goodison last week. Hopefully they get to beat the win um drought this week, get a two nil win and just wow. send everybody into the um into the international break. I'm not saying happy, but you know, perhaps with the walls not at the door, the table looking a little bit better and, and perhaps with something to build on going into a into a very important fortnight for, for this group of players, I think. Take that two goal cushion. What are your thoughts, Gav? Yeah, yeah. I um, I'm, I'm similar to Joe. I think I'd like to see a little bit more of an attacking lineup without going into too much detail than what we saw against Luton for the start. 
It is a big game. We said before the Brentford matches, snap your hand off for five points from Brentford, Luton and Bournemouth. If we went tomorrow, we got six. So that will be, and plus a winner at Aston Villa. So that that be progress for me. Yeah, I, I'm going to, it seems like two, a 2-0 two home win tomorrow. But I did say 3 nil last week, didn't I? So I'm, I'm ratcheting, ratcheting it down. But yeah, 2-0 and hopefully it'll be, you know, 10% conversion rate of chances, you know, reverting to the norm. And But they conceded a lot of goals, haven't they, Bournemouth? This is 15 they conceded. Wow, yeah. yeah something like that, is it? Yeah. 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 yeah, so 2-0 to Everton for me, but only after a um, more attacking lineup. Wow. Well, I'll complete that. I won't be quite as positive as, as, as the other two chaps, but I'll say 2-1, I'll say so... Given the circumstances that we've all gone for an Everton win, that's something, I guess. Um, so uh, either way, we'll be back to reflect upon that um, next week um, and what lies ahead for Everton and going into the international break. But I've been your host, Chris Beasley, been joined by Joe Thomas and Gavin Buckland. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 